You are listening to a true gospel perspective from our Macedonia Baptist Church ministerial staff. We pray that this message will be a true blessing to you. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you turn with me to the book of Genesis, the 50th chapter, Genesis. And we'll read in your hearing verses 14 through 20. Say amen when you have it. Genesis chapter 50, beginning at verse number 14, it says, And Joseph returned into Egypt, he and his brethren, and all that went up with him to bury his father. And after he had buried his father, and when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will preventually hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespasses of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespasses of the servants of God, of thy father. And Joseph wept when he had, they spoke unto him. And his brothers also went and fell down before his face and said, Behold, we be thy servant. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for, I am, in the, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. The life of Joseph is perhaps one of the most hidden treasures in the Old Testament. Because as you look at the characters and the patriarchs of the Old Testament, there's three that come to mind. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was known as a man of faith. We know that Isaac was the son of promise. But Jacob is the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Yet it seems as though somewhere along the line, Joseph gets lost. And so for this text, I would like to pin for this thought, an Old, Ta Old Testament Christian character, the life of Joseph. As I read this text, if there's any text in the Old Testament that screamed Christianity, it was this text. And I will not get, have a chance, an opportunity to go throughout the whole life of Joseph. So I'm going to recommend that you read it for yourself. The text begins in the 37th chapter of Genesis. And it begins with Joseph being a 17-year-old the last or second to last child 
of Jacob's. Jacob makes no doubt that Joseph is his favorite. And understand there's a reason for that. There's a significant reason for that. Because it seems as though Joseph is the child that always sought to honor his father. That always sought to be obedient to the father. And a lot of times we expect God as being our heavenly father to give us the same honor that his obedient children get as well. And there are times that God will favor certain Christians while other ones will just have his grace. There is a difference between the favor of God and the grace of God. We all experience the grace of God. But God favors those children who are obedient to him that are doers of his word. And so Joseph seems to be the one that demonstrated that. And so Jacob makes it no secret, his love for Joseph. For we also told in the text that he makes them this coat of many colors. It was a coat that really caused Joseph to stick out from the rest of his brothers. Because it had these bright colors. It was, it was, a, it was a robe of royalty. And he gives this coat to Joseph because he's been obedient. But understand this, that that there's times that people will hate on you just because you're being obedient to what God has told you to do. Understand that every time you're obedient to God, don't expect the blessings to come immediately. The reason being is because there's, there's times that, that people will celebrate your obedience, but there are other times that people will be convicted by your obedience to God's word. And the reason why is because they, don't, they are not being obedient to his word, so it bothers them when you're being obedient to God's word. You see, because the saying is that misery loves company, and people who are miser- miserable in their sin want you to come in and be miserable right along with them. But as being Christians, as being those who are set apart, who have been called out, we're called to be different than this world. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I just don't fit in with this world. That there's something about this world that we just don't set horses. Because their ideology is totally different than what the scripture tells me I'm to be obedient to. So, so, so in this life of Joseph's life, you see a lot of attributes of Christian behavior, even before Christianity came on the scene. And what that tells me is that that Jesus is eternal, and he's always been around. Number two, it tells me that God has always been about Christian behavior, even in the Old Testament. So because of his obedience, Because of his role, his brothers hated him. But if that wasn't enough, Joseph was also a tattletale. The scripture tells us that Joseph came back and brought a bad report concerning his brothers. And you know the old adage, in the hood, snitches get stitches. 
Well, Joseph didn't care nothing about that. Because the reality of it is, is that if snitching is telling the truth, then call me a snitch. Because Joseph simply told his father the truth of the matter. And that's the problem in our neighborhoods today is that no one wants to tell the truth about the matter. No one wants to point the finger and say, no, you're wrong in what you're doing. No one wants to turn against their brother in his wrong. And that's one of the things that I believe we need to get away from. Because that's what it's going to take to get our communities back. That's what it's going to take to get our communities back. Is that people will stand up and declare the truth. That God might be glorified. So Joseph basically just told the truth. But then Joseph gets in even more hot water. Because Joseph received this dream from the Lord. And what he did not understand is that this dream was a prophetic dream. And he tells him, his brethren that there was going to come a time where he would be the star and that the, there, were, there were 11 other stars that would bow down to him. The reference is that, they would, they would bow, that his brothers would one day bow down to him. And so Joseph shares his dream with his brethren. He tells his dream to his brethren and it further angers the brethren. And I just want to stop here to say sometimes you can't tell folk your dreams. You can't tell them everything that God has revealed to you. Because like I said, some will support you, but most will come against you. Because the truth of the matter is that, that a lot of folk don't want to see you get blessed or in a place of blessing. And what they'll do is they'll start digging ditches for you. And that's exactly what his brothers did. Because of their anger. While they were out tending the flock in Dotham. Jacob sent Joseph to basically spy on his brothers. He said, go find your brothers and bring me back a report. Let me know how they're doing. Well, the text says that as they were on their way, they spotted Joseph from afar out. And really what they wanted to do is they wanted to kill him. It had gotten to that point today they actually wanted to kill him dead. Understand that this is family. These are folk that you really do not, should not expect that out of. Well, let's look at it in the context of the church. Because all of us are brothers and sisters in Christ. The person you sit next to is your brother in Christ, your sister in Christ. And there's no way we should be digging dishes for anybody in the church. But yes, even in the church, there are some folk who are setting up traps, who are doing things that are unheard of in Scripture. How is it? How is it? How is it that you say that you love God whom you cannot see, but you hate your brother who's sitting next to you on the pew? How, how, how is it that we can say that we're still in the will of God? It's a difficult thing. But these were his brothers, no less they were his half-brothers, but yet still, they were still blood. They still had a kinship with him, 
or at least they should have. But they let their jealousy and their envy get the best of them. Be careful of covetousness. Be careful of being envious and jealous of somebody. Don't you realize that the same God that blessed them can bless you too? But here it is, they let it get the best of them. And so they want to kill him dead. And if it had not been for Reuben, the oldest, said, let us not put blood on our hands. Let us not kill him, but let's find a pit to throw him in. And we'll just let his fate be what it is. And so that's exactly what they did. They took Joseph and they put him in a pit. And in this pit, the scripture, the, the, the text says that there was nothing in the pit. And so what does this tell us about Joseph? At this point in time, Joseph must depend completely upon God. Because the text even said there was no water in the pit. In other words, there was nothing to sustain life in the pit for him. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like all hope was lost? You felt like you had nobody in the world. It was a, pro, a, 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 a time of isolation. So Joseph is isolated. He's away from his father. His brethren mean him no good. They're the ones that are responsible for having him in the pit. And he's here all alone. I can imagine Joseph getting down on bending knees and, and going before the Lord. Praying before God. Because his situation is dire. And if God does not intervene, his fate is certain that death is imminent. But look at God. Look at his brethren. They throw him in the pit. And the scriptures say they sit down and have lunch. Just to show you how treacherous they are. They sit down and they eat. Knowing what they had done to their youngest brother, one of their youngest brothers. And there comes a caravan along of the Ishmaelites. And so Judah gets this grand scheme. He said, instead of leaving him in the pit, let's make a profit off of him. In other words, let's sell him to these Ishmaelites. And let's get some money for him. This is family. These are folk that's supposed to love him, but yet and still they're wanting to sell them into slavery. And that they did. For 20 shekels of silver, which was the price of a male slave at that time, they sold him into slavery. But understand this, understand this, that, that, that God is still orchestrating behind the scenes. Because God still has a purpose. God gave him the prophetic dream that they would bow down to him, and God is going to bring it to pass. And if God gives you a dream, brothers and sisters, God will bring it to pass. I don't care what you see in front of you. God is still working to bring it to pass. No matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, no matter how bad it gets. This team that, 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 that Joseph's situation went from bad to worse and then kept getting worse and worse and worse. Because these Ishmaelites take Joseph to Egypt. 
and they sell him to Potiphar. Potiphar is a, a governor. He is a he is high-ranking official in Pharaoh's command. Potiphar realizes and he sees something in Joseph. Because even when Joseph should have probably gotten down, I believe that at this point I probably would have begun to give up. But there's something about perseverance. There's something about still having that tenacity to keep on going forward. Because when Joseph should have gave up, we find that the scripture said that he was a slave, but yet he prospered. Don't miss that. Understand, understand that all of us that have been blood washed and born again are slaves to Jesus Christ. And I know the text says servant of Jesus Christ. But understand that the translation for that is a bit skewed here. Because a servant is someone who gets paid for doing what they're doing. A slave is someone who belongs to the master. Jesus is our master. So therefore, we're not technically servants. We are slaves to Jesus Christ. Why? Because we've been bought with a price. Our lives are not our own anymore. We don't get a chance to call the shots anymore. Jesus calls the shots. And so here it is that Joseph is a slave, but yet still he's still prospering. Potiphar, who is, who, is, who, is, who is unregenerated, can even see that God's hand is upon him. And understand, brothers and sisters, you don't have to go around telling folk how blessed you are. All you got to do is live right, and people will automatically know how blessed you really are. You just let the blessings of God just shine through you. And understand that you are a blessing that you might be a blessing to somebody. Potiphar seen that he was a blessing. Well, apparently Potiphar's wife seen he was a blessing too. And she wanted more blessings than she was due. You get my drift. There was something about Joseph, this young man, good-looking man. She wanted him. The scripture said that she continuously prompted him and, and seduced him and tried to get him to lie with her. But Joseph, having the Christian integrity that he has, understood sexual purity. And that's something we need to understand even in the church. There is such a thing as sexual purity in the church. That fornication and adultery are something that should not be named in the church. Homosexuality is something that should not be named in the church. But it seems as though we've sat back long enough and waited for these things to go away. And understand, they're not going to go away on their own. It's going to take a church that is standing on the word of God. It's going to take a church that understands the value of living a moral, upright life before God. That's something that we should not be doing in the church. And even Joseph understood this. Because Potiphar's wife had an opportunity when Joseph was in the house with her. 
and no one else was around, she took this opportunity and grabbed him by the coat, wanting him to sleep with her. And the text said that Joseph took off running, leaving his coat in her hands. And that's what the Bible tells us, that, that we're to flee fornication. We're to be like Joseph, we're to flee it, we're to run from it. We can't wait until we're knee deep into it before we decide, oh, okay, well, no, we're not going to do it. Because usually by then it's way too late. We as Christians need to be walking, uh, watching as we pray. We need to be listening to the Holy Spirit that tells us, listen, it's time for you to get out of this situation. It's time for you to leave this situation. And so in her shame, and being rebuked by jo Joseph, being refused by Joseph, she decides she's going to lie on Joseph. And the Bible said that she laid there with the coat in her arms until her husband got home. She wanted to show evidence that Joseph wanted to rape her. And that's what she reported. That's what she, she, she lied on him. I tell you, listen, this whole story of Joseph is filled with Christian values. Because you see Joseph being devoted. You see him being faithful. You see him honoring. But you see him being discredited. You see him being betrayed. All of us have felt these things. And now he's being lied upon. And the situation goes from worse to worser, if that's a word. Do you know what I mean? So he goes from the pit to Potiphar's house, from Potiphar's house to the prison. Now I understand, according to, 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 to uh, Egyptian culture, the penalty for committing adultery or rape was actually capital punishment. But God is still working in this because Potiphar could have had him killed on the spot. But yet and still, he sends him to prison. And he sends him to a prison where all of the upper ranking people who have committed offenses against the Pharaoh or his cabinet went to. There was a separate prison for everybody else. But he goes to a place to where he can have access eventually to the king, to the Pharaoh. I tell you, God is working this thing out. Because Joseph is faithful. And so Joseph finds himself in the prison. And God is still working because he sends into the prison the same location, the butler as well as the baker of the king. There has been a plot to assassinate the king by poisoning. And because the, the pharaoh could not figure out whether it was the butler or the baker, he sends both of them to prison. And they have this interaction and this encounter with Joseph. At the same time, they have these dreams. And we won't go into the dreams, but the dreams are interpreted by no other than, than Joseph himself, the dream interpreter. And this is his verdict to them. He said, the cupbearer, you're going to be restored. You're innocent. But for you, my friend, the baker, your fate is going to, they're going to cut your head off. You're going to die. Because it was your plot to kill the Pharaoh. 
And that's exactly what happened. But Joseph made one request of the cupbearer. And his request was simple. Remember me. When you're restored, remember me. And so lo and behold, the cupbearer was restored. But just like most folk, when they get blessed, when they get restored, when they get uh, restoration in their lives, they forget about the people who have helped them to get over, that have helped them to get to where they need to be. They forget about those folk, those ones that have been faithful to them, those ones that have been loyal to them. And so two years passed. Two long years have passed. And the Pharaoh gets a dream that troubles him. Cannot interpret, he cannot understand it. And so the cupbearer remembers a, a man that he was in prison with that was able to interpret dreams. And so he calls upon Joseph. And Joseph finds himself standing before the Pharaoh. He has an audience with the Pharaoh. And so the Pharaoh tells him his dreams. He said, there, 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 were, there, were, there were seven fat calves that were grazing. And then seven lean calves came and devoured them up. I don't understand it. But then there was seven plentiful coins that were there. And then seven lean corns came and devoured them up. Joseph, what's the meaning of this dream? So Joseph began to interpret the dream for him. He said, listen here, Pharaoh. There's going to be seven years of plentiful. There's going to be seven years of getting all you can get. And it's going to be quickly followed by seven years of famine. And what my suggestion and my recommendation to you is that in those seven plentiful years, don't spend all you got. That, that's something for us too, right? When the getting is good, don't spend everything that you have. Because understand, there's going to be some lean years that's going to come behind that. We as a black community, as one of uh, the biggest consumers of all other races, we seem to spend everything that we have. We need to learn how to save some, to put some back, because there are going to be some hardships that are going to come. So he said, he said, put something up. Store some of it away. Continue to put it away. Because the lean years are going to come. Now here, listen here, understand this, understand this. Also, you know, I mean, the only reason that Joseph is able to do this, hear what I'm saying? The only reason he's able to have this type of advice for the Pharaoh is because what he experienced in Potiphar's house. Because Joseph worked the fields. He managed the fields. He understand field management. And understand that there's some time that in your, in your difficult situation, you can learn some things about a future time in which you will come into. So, so don't, 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 don't get down about being in a bad situation. Because there's some things that you need to learn in that bad situation that will help you when things get good. 
Learn as much as you can while you're in the pit. Learn as much as you can while you're in a Potiphar's house, the slave situation. Learn as much as you can when you're in a prison situation because it's going to help you. Don't, don't, don't you know that God could have saved these people just by speaking the word? But what we need to understand is that God is going to work through us. He's going to use us. And there's a Pharaoh out there for you as well. There's an opportunity for you out there as well to be a blessing. And so he's restored. As a matter of fact, the Pharaoh said that I'm going to make you second in command. Seven years of plenty went by, followed by seven years of famine. And so now the famine has reached Jacob, his father's house. Jacob sends his sons to buy grain from Joseph. Well, what do you think the first thing that they did? They came and they bowed themselves down to him. Just as the dream said that they would. And it seems that though Joseph could have gotten revenge. Here, here's the Christian act right here. Joseph had every right to get revenge. But as we see in the text, Joseph showed forgiveness. This scene in which you'll see in, in the text, when Joseph finally reveals himself to his brethren, that he is Joseph, Joseph puts everybody out of the room but his brethren. And the Bible says that he wept bitterly. He cried. He hugged his brethren. He showed them love in spite of what they had done to him. He had forgiven them. But in the text, the brethren still were not completely healed. Because they thought that the forgiveness was based upon their father Jacob still being alive. And after Jacob dies, they believe that, that, that Joseph is going to come back and he's going to exact revenge upon us. But Joseph reassures them. He tells them. He said, am I in the place of God that I should seek revenge upon you? Listen here, church. None of us are in the place of God. And just because someone offends you, it does not give you the right to return evil for evil. As a matter of fact, Romans tells that we should give love for evil. Why? Because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So count it all joy when you come into tribulation and persecution. Count it joy. Because God has an opportunity. Oh, yes, he does. Your place in this is to stand in faith and say, yes, I forgive you. Yes, I still love you. You're still blood. I restore you. I leave all that stuff behind. And that's exactly what Joseph did. He forgave his brethren. But understand that each one of them brethren still had a price to pay. But it was not at Joseph's hand. Joseph chose to forgive. So what do you do for the people that have offended you? Have any of us been treated the way Joseph had been treated? Have you ever been to a place where you've had to forgive somebody for such mistreatment? 
everything that Joseph went through was at the responsibility of his brethren. But here we see that he forgives them. Here we see his love for them, his compassion for them. Why? Because they're brethren. This sets us up for Christ's coming. This shows us how we're to conduct ourselves. Christ came that he might show this same type of Christian living to us. Christ was one that came with compassion. He came with love, forgiveness. He came humbly. He came down here to show us the way to live. To show us the way to give. To show us how to have compassion, how to love one another. Because even in the Pharisees lying on him and, and taking him before Pontius Pilate, Jesus still forgave them. He still spoke forgiveness even from the cross in which he hung upon. It was love that he had for them. Even in them wronging him, he still yet loved them and he forgave them. For he said, for this purpose I came into the world, that I might give my life a ransom. And that he did. He gave his life a ransom. He surrendered himself to the authority of a Roman government. He gave up his right and surrendered and submitted to their authority. Yes, he stood before Pontius Pilate. Yes, Pontius Pilate committed him to crucifixion. And yes, they marched him up Golgotha's hill. And they nailed him to a cross. They nailed him in his hands and in his feet. But even with saying that, he still did not give up on them. For he declared, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He kept on forgiving. He kept on loving all the way to the cross. Yes, he suffered, bled, and died on that cross. Hung his head in the locks of his shoulders. He gave up the ghost and said, it's finished. He died and they buried him in a tomb. Stayed there Friday. All day Saturday, but the record declared that early on the third day, he rose with all power in his hand. He's worthy to be praised because of what he done for us. And it was all because he loved us. He gave his life for us. He suffered. He rose with all power. Because of that, I have the right to the tree of life. And he's sitting at the right-hand side of God right now. He's pleading my case. He's talking about your case. He's telling the Father all about it. The words that I cannot utter, he's telling them for me. Why? Because he loves me. But good God Almighty, he's coming back again. Yeah, he's going to crack the sky. He's going to come back again. And he's going to rapture his church off this earth. And I'm glad about it. I'm excited about it. I can't wait till Jesus Christ comes back. I got some loved ones here. I love, I love them. And I want all of them to be saved. And that's why I be praying daily for my loved ones, unsaved loved ones, that God will save them by, their might, by his might. Because Jesus Christ is coming again. And it's soon, very soon. Soon and very soon. So our Christian character is not just a New Testament concept. We see that the Old Testament has a Christian character as well. Please stand to your feet.
We hope you enjoyed this message today. And we pray that it was a true blessing to you. If you are interested in learning more about Pastor Charles D. Twyman and the Macedonia Baptist Church family, you can reach out to us at www.mbcdet.com. Thank you, and God bless you.